Today I want to introduce a new subject matter, even for myself. And I want to begin bringing awareness to the issue of mental health. And I want us to talk about how how we, the church, should have a role in helping those who struggle with mental health issues. Now, you may be sitting here and you may be thinking, well, George, how in the world did you get interested in mental health issues? Well, the answer is really very simple. I have a very, very, very close family member who has struggled with clinical depression for as long as I have known them. It has been difficult for them and it has been difficult for me to understand them, for our family to put our, so to speak, minds and arms around that subject matter, that this person in the family. On one or more occasions, in fact, four times, this individual has attempted suicide. And the last one was about two years ago. And they were very, very close. Our family life has to deal with this subject matter every day. And we never feel at rest. We feel like we're in a prison. Those can be, when that happens and it raises its ugly head, the worst of times. But I know as a pastor, though all things are not God's will, God can turn all things into good. And that became clearer to me about three years ago, maybe two and a half years ago now, When I was out at a conference, a purpose-driven conference out in California, Saddleback, where Kay Warren, for about 30 minutes, shared her story about her son, Matthew, who committed suicide. I will never forget coming back to my motel room around 8 o'clock at night and staying up till 1, 2 in the morning, just thinking through my own life with this intimate family member, confessing some things Sin on my part. Misunderstandings that I had. I started writing down verses. I started creating some outlines. And for two years, I've been mulling on this subject matter. About a month ago, my wife says, George, what are you going to be doing after this series? And I really hadn't told her anything that was going on in my mind. I just said, well, you know what? I'm going I'm to take on the mental health issue. And she looked me in the eyes. We were at Chick-fil-A. I got to eat some fried food. Yes. (laughs) He says, George, do you realize how many funerals that you've done at LifePoint for family members whose whose families have committed suicide? I said, no. I mean, one, maybe two. I I don't know. He says, George, you've, you've probably done four or five. And she started counting them off of an individual who had a brain injury and then as a result took their life. And then another one who spouse left them and committed what I would call an honor suicide. And then she went on to the senior that was in at a university up in Arkansas and for no reason that was known to mankind committed suicide. And then she went on and shared a couple of more. And I decided at that conference and as well as just mulling on it for a couple of years and after my conversation with Cheryl that I personally was going to share my pain. And I want to share my pain as a pastor of a church where this reality happens. Because God says, 
I'm going to give you strength for the journey that you're on. And I'm going to be with you and I'm going to comfort you, but I want you to turn around and I want you to help others who are going down the same path. So right off the bat, let me give you the reasons why I believe the church should take on this issue and what I hope LifePoint Church will begin to accomplish. And let me just say this. If you are a health professional in any way, I'm sending you emails this week because we're going to come together and we're going to strategize as a church. But let me give you the reasons that I believe that we as a church need to take this on. And the first purpose is simply this. I think the church needs to lead. It needs to lead in helping the hurting, the helpless, and the hopeless that struggle with mental issues. Now, in saying that, I am not at all saying and talking about what government does or what education does or what health professionals do. All of those are good. And by the way, they are all needed. But I believe the church needs to step up and be at the table as it talks about this critical issue for three big reasons. The first is a biblical reason. Jesus cared about the mental health of people. He ministered to all types of people, including the mental ill. In fact, the Bible says two times that Jesus entered into every village preaching, teaching, and healing. One-third of Jesus' ministry was around healing. He did preaching, that's evangelism. He did teaching, that's called education. And he did healing. He did healing because he didn't just care about our souls going to heaven. And he didn't just care about our minds being educated. He was about caring for the body. And the mind and our bodies are connected And so Jesus' ministry clearly dealt with people who struggled with mental illness. There is a second reason I believe that we, the church, must take this on, and it is for a historical reason. This is not new for the church. The church has been in the healing ministry for over 2,000 years, caring for people who are sick. Now, most people don't realize this, but it's the church, we, the church, that has invented healthcare. Hospitals weren't invented by government. They weren't invented by NGOs. They weren't invented by the the government. No, they were invented by the church. It's no accident that if you enter into a country, most often the first hospital that was ever there in this country was started by a Christian or Christians. They were called missionaries. In fact, we're getting ready to send out missionaries. This week, we're sending them to Haiti, and we're sending them to the Philippines. And some of the care that we're doing there is along health care lines, okay? Now, why? Why do we do this? Because we as Christians aren't just in to preaching and teaching. We're also in to healing. And we have a 2,000-plus-year history in the health care, so to speak, arena, The third reason is that it's practical. It's not just biblical, and it's not just historical. But folks, it's practical. When you talk to people who are in some kind of pain, more often than not, the first person that they, or the first place that they go to is the church. When someone is in conflict, in their marriage, with their career, 
uh, in some kind of pain. I don't care what it is. It may be physical. It could be mental. They don't turn to a doctor first. They don't turn to a police officer first. They don't turn to an attorney first. They turn to a pastor or a priest or some kind of spiritual leader. Now, you may not realize this, but one out of every two adults in America in their lifetime will suffer some kind of mental illness. In fact, right now, one-fifth of adults in America have some kind of mental illness. And one-fifth of kids in America also suffer from some kind of mental issue. We know at life point experientially that people need care 24-7. We have what we call a minister on call 24-7. So if someone calls, someone is gonna get back with them and help them in the crisis that they're going through. And so the first purpose is this. We believe that the church needs to be a major player at the table, along with government, along with health professionals, along with others. There is a second purpose. The church must remove the stigma of mental health issues. What we want to do is we want to reduce the fear surrounded by mental health. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought of this, but why is this what I consider to be the last frontier? Why is this area such a taboo? I think it's because we don't know that much about the mind. And what we don't understand, we fear. And yet, follow me with this. If I've got a bad liver, I can go to a doctor and I can get a pill. It's called Lipitor. And there is no stigma to that at all. I can, if I've got a bad heart and it's broken or it's not working right, I can go to a doctor and he can give me a pill or he can put a stint in my heart. And guess what? There is no stigma to that at all. If I've got a broken bone, I can go to the doctor. I don't know, maybe puts a piece of metal in it, puts it back together, puts me in a splint. And guess what? There's no stigma to that at all. Why then should you and I keep it a secret that my brain isn't working right and I have to go and get a pill to make it work. You see, your brain is a part of your body and it is not a sin to be sick. It's just a part of our body. But the question is this, how do we get rid of the stigma that is around mental health issues? And I believe it starts with this, realizing that we are all broken. And if the truth were known, it is our brokenness, is it not, that brings and draws people to Christ. It is not our perfection that leads people to Christ. It is our brokenness that leads people to Christ. And the reality is we are all broken. Your body doesn't work perfectly. Your mind doesn't work perfectly. Your relationships don't work perfectly. Your vocation doesn't work perfectly. Folks, everything is broken. And so we need to re remove the stigma that just because you have a brain that isn't working correctly, 
doesn't mean that you're in sin. We need to be honest and authentic and share our struggles. And to be honest with you, there have been times in my life mentally where I wasn't into building a great church. My mind was into just God, just get me through one more Sunday. I don't know if I can take this anymore. And so I am glad I didn't give up. And more importantly, I'm glad that God didn't give up on me. So what I am saying is this, that right now, if you feel like giving up, don't. Because this series is about giving you and I hope. Now there is a third purpose of why I believe we, the church, you and I, individuals, need to take this on. And that is we need to equip and educate the church, learning how to care for those who are affected and afflicted and who struggle with mental issues. Studies have shown, like I said, that the first place that a person goes to oftentimes is the church. And so we, the church, need to teach and we need to equip one another. And do you want to know who that is? That's all of us in this room. That is the receptionist at the front desk. That is our small group leaders. That is the leaders in our student ministries, the leaders in our children's ministries. The greeters and the ushers. That, that's the, the mops mentors that are working with other moms. Because we need to educate and equip and tell people that guess what? They have a place here in the church because no one should ever suffer alone. No one. Now understand something. This is a very complex issue. As I have read over the last couple of years, folks, this is huge. It is absolutely huge. We've got mild anxiety and depression. We've got clinical depression. We have OCD. We have dementia. We have Alzheimer's. We have bipolar. We have autism. We have addictions. This issue is complex. And for that reason, it must be addressed on multiple levels. If you're going to get healthy, I don't care what it is, if you're going to get healthy, if you're going to help other people to get healthy, you have to address multiple layers in your life and in their life. Multiple layers like this, the physical and the biological level. This is the most basic level. It involves brain damage. It involves brain chemistry. It involves diet exercise, sleep, stress management, all of these things, and to be honest, even more, are the biological factors for mental health. Then you're gonna have to deal with the emotional level. And this involves learning healthy ways of managing one's mind. And that's what this series is gonna be about. I am. I am who God says I am. I'm not who I say I am. I'm not who you say I am. I am who God says I am. The Bible's clear that you and I need to capture every thought to the obedience of Christ, to God's word. God's word helps us to manage our moods by managing our thoughts. 
You and I can't control every thought that comes into our brain, but we sure in the world can choose what we're going to do with it, and we can choose to get help. Then the next level is the relational and the social aspect, and those involve our families because our problems don't just affect us, folks. They affect everyone around us. And so we have to know how to relate to each other in healthy ways. We have to know how to resolve conflict. We have to know how to rely on safety nets. We have to know how to build safe people around us. And then the next level is the spiritual level. And that involves knowing Christ. That involves building strong spiritual habits. That involves resisting the devil and understanding spiritual oppression. So what I'm saying is this, that mental health isn't just one issue. It's not that simplistic. Well, all you need to do is take a pill. Right. All you need to do is you just need to pray more. Right. All you need to do, you just need to be in God's word more. Right. Folks, all of those are needed and more. So we have to attack this area of health, mental health issues and challenges on every level. Spiritually, emotionally, mentally, relationally, physically. The fourth purpose is that we want to make aware to our church and to the churches in this area. And I want to just tell you this. No church in this area has taken this on, what I would call the Collin County area. And we're going to take it on. We want to make resources known to our community, for the churches that are here, and for the families that suffer with mental illness. When families struggle with mental health issues, folks, they often feel overwhelmed and they don't know where to turn. But I can tell you this, there is help out there. And what we want to do is that we, LifePoint, wants to become a triage for families who are suffering in this area. We want them to know that our arms are open wide. We are here to help you. We are here to help faith-based churches, and other organizations. You see, right now, we have one signature item. It's called Outrun Homelessness. And by the way, we got our first half million dollars a few months ago, so from Toyota, go God, okay? That is good. But I believe God wants us to take this one on, to be our second signature item. And to use our connection center out here, which is 99.% done, okay? We're getting close. Not there yet, but we're getting there. Where we can invite in the best of the best of nonprofit mental health organizations to educate us, to educate our community, and educate other faith-based organizations. The fifth purpose is that we want to publicly stand and support those who struggle with mental health issues. 
Now I'm going to do something here. And I've wrestled with it. I've thought about this for two years, whether I should do this or not. But I'm going to do it. If you personally struggle with a mental health issue and you feel comfortable, would you stand up? Please remain standing. If you know of a person in your family who struggles with mental health issues, would you stand up? I'll stand up with you. Will you stand up if you know someone in your relational world that struggles with mental health issues? Will you stand up? Folks, that's almost all of us here. This issue is core to our community. I don't know about you, but I love our community. I love our biblical community. I love the community that we're in. You can be seated. I want you to write this down. We want to stand up and support lives who struggle with mental health issues. And I want to say to you as your pastor, I care about your pain. I care about your pain. And as your friend and as your pastor, I want to give you some statements of hope. But before I do, I want to say this, that there is a place for everyone at God's church. That there is a place for you. There is a place for the poser and the pretender. The powerful and the unpowerful. The brainiacs and the idiacs. The popular and the unpopular. The sick and the healthy. The sinful and the righteous. There is a place for geeks and freaks and dorks. There is a place for jocks and the uh, uh, the athletically challenged. There is a place for the old and the young, for the boomers and for the millennials. There is a place for the weak and the strong. There is a place for the winners and the losers. There is a place for those who are always right, and you may be sitting one next to one. And there is a place for those who never think they're right. There is a place for every race, language, and gender. There is a place for those who are mentally healthy and there is a place for those who are mentally ill. And if that is true, and folks, it is true, just read 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26. Then there is a place for the church to be at the table with health professionals and government and non-GOs. Or NGOs. Will you write this down? I want you to write down practical steps before we talk about the hope statements. Practical steps that we, you, and I can do in the church. And the acrostic is church. C stands for care for and support people who are ill. Luke 6, 36. You must be compassionate just as your father is compassionate. Folks, it doesn't cost you and I a dime 
to show compassion. All it takes is a decision on our part. And may I say this, it is a critical decision to show compassion because we crave people who have mental issues. All of us are broken. We crave, we want people to notice. We want people to acknowledge. We want people to know that I matter. People experience this. Take a look at Psalm 69, 20. I am broken by their taunts, flat on my face, reduced to a nothing. I looked in vain for one friendly face, not one. I couldn't find one shoulder to cry on. And yet this is what we crave. I truly believe that the greatest epidemic in our world today is loneliness. And it's being driven by technology. People want to be known. H stands for help with practical needs. You see, when a person has, I don't know, a broken arm or they've got cancer, we, we immediately say, hey, can I bring you over a meal? Folks, doesn't take any money, really, to, to just offer a meal. Or it's, hey, can I take you to the doctor? But someone who struggles with mental health issues, they suffer in silence. And yet all it takes is one decision. You know what? Can I just give you a buzz? Can I just text you? Can, can I just bring over a meal? Take a look at 1 John three seventeen. If we are rich and see others in need, yet close our hearts against them, how can we claim that we love God? U stands for unleash volunteers. Just like we are seeking to mobilize people in our church, in other churches, to help out with the homeless cause in Collin County, which is ramping up as we grow more and more and more, so too we want to mobilize people to get involved with nonprofit mental health organizations. R, remove the stigma. We want to radically love people because guess what? God made them the way they are, and I don't understand that. But we want to love them the way they are, where they can be open and authentic and real. I cannot tell you how many times back in that prayer room I will have someone come up to me and whisper in my ear, Pastor George, I just started meds for depression. I'm clinically depressed. Pastor George, I have OCD. Pastor George, I'm bipolar. Pastor George, I've never shared this with you before, but I have a person in my family that we really can't bring to church because they have a high degree of autism. You see, they don't feel safe to tell other people. And I can understand, because truly the church in its history has kind of pushed these people away. And yet God has called leadership in the church to take this on. Take a look at Ezekiel Chapter 34 and verse, verse 4. You have not taken care of the weak. He's speaking to shepherds. He's talking to leaders. You have not tended the sick or bound up the injured. You have not gone looking for those who, are wander, who have wandered away and are lost. Instead, you have ruled them with harshness and cruelty. You see, why? Why would God have me, I'm a leader, I'm a shepherd, take this on. Because this is the very heart 
of God. In Ezekiel 34, verse one, I, God, will search for my lost ones who strayed away. I will bring them safely home again. I will bandage the injured and strengthen the weak. God cares, and so we must care. Now, honestly, most people, when it comes to this subject matter, think it's them and not us. I'm not mentally challenged. I don't have any mental issues. I'm not mentally ill. The reality is, it's not them. We are them. It's us. And so God says, have a heart. Show care and concern. Radically love people. The second C is collaborate with community, which I've kind of talked about. Just like we've collaborated with seven organizations in Collin County, we're gonna collaborate with the best of the best of the best here in Collin County in the way of mental health nonprofit organizations. And then H, offer hope. No one can offer hope like Jesus Christ. The government can't offer much hope. Professionals, health professionals, offer some hope. But Jesus Christ and his church, I believe, can offer a, a hope that heals. Take a look at Hosea 2, verse 15. I will transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. I don't believe anyone better than the church and God's people can offer people of hope. And the hope that I believe that LifePoint Church can offer in this area isn't just a nice place to sit and to know that you'll be treated well, but rather a hope that says that you can have deep, meaningful relationships, that you can grow in your faith, that you can take your brokenness and you can use it to minister to people in the church and that you can use as you're open and authentic, use your story to bring people to Christ. That's the kind of hope I believe LifePoint is going to offer in this area. So let me give you what we're gonna be covering the next six weeks, five statements of hope. First one is this, that your mental challenge is not your identity. Your chemistry is not your character. It doesn't define who you are. You may struggle with mental health issues, but that's not your identity. You are who God says you are. You see, I know this is counterculture because in our culture, AA would say something like this, I'm George and I'm an alcoholic. And we identify with our illness. But if you are a follower of Christ, rather you say, I'm George Pfizer, and I am a follower of Jesus Christ, and I struggle with alcoholism. Do you see the difference? You see, God wants us to identify ourselves with him, himself, our creator and our savior, because you and I have been made wonderfully complex. Every part of us. First, or Psalms 139 says, thank you for making me so wonderfully complex. Your workmanship is marvelous. How well I know it. Will you circle wonderfully complex? 
Now understand something. Understand what the psalmist is saying here. He's saying that you are multifaceted. That you are hard to understand. That you are not easy to explain. That you are wonderfully complex. So husbands, I want you to turn to your wives right now and tell them you are wonderfully complex. And husbands, don't kiss your wives. Mine's not up here. That's not fair. Wives, turn to your husband and say, you are amazingly simple. Now, like I said earlier, we don't want to be simplistic with this issue. But we can give simple answers to become all that God has meant for you to be and to help someone else become all that God has meant for them to be. It means that you have to deal at every level of a person's life. You gotta deal with reality. Take a look at Ecclesiastes seven eighteen. A person who fears God deals responsibly with all of reality, not just a piece of it. For you to become and for you to help others become all that God has meant them to be, you have to love people at every level. And next week, we're going to understand the five levels that make you you. Your chemistry, your connectedness, your circumstances, your consciousness, and your choices. In, this, in the message entitled, I am who God says I am. The second statement of hope that we're gonna look at in this series is this, that your mental health challenges don't change your purpose. I've been praying over this series for two years and I've been asking God, God, you bring the right people here because I believe that God wants to say to you this, you matter to me. I have seen your pain. I have seen your torture. I have seen the torment that has gone on in your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I have grieved with you. I have wept with you. You matter to me, and I have a purpose for your life. If there is anything that I learned a couple of years ago with my prostate issues that I went through for four months, was this, that pain sucks the purpose right out of you. And I don't care what kind of purpose or what kind of pain it is. Relational pain will suck the purpose right out of you. Vocational pain will suck the purpose right out of you. Physical pain will suck the purpose right out of you. And so will emotional and mental pain. The pain of rejection, the pain of being misunderstood, the pain of being criticized, it will suck the purpose right out of you. But here's hope. God knows where you're at and he is with you. And he is giving you grace and he is comforting you as you are going through the pain that you have so that you can turn around and you can bring comfort and grace and strength in those who are following behind you. 
You are significant and God has a purpose for your life. The third statement of hope is this. Your mental health challenges don't make you useless. As your pastor, I want you to have confidence that God has made you or allowed you to be who you are. And I don't understand it all. But I want you to be able to be confident as you interact with this community and as you interact in the larger community. And we're going to take a look at three things that will build your confidence. But look at Luke 12, 35. Be dressed for service, well prepared, as though you were waiting for your master to return from a wedding feast. Then you will be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. God wants you and I to live confidently in him. The fourth purpose statement is this, that your mental health challenges don't mean you don't fit. We're going to take a look at four causes of loneliness, and we're going to take a look at the four antidotes to the wrongful thought, I don't fit in. God says, I don't want anyone to be alone. And then the last one is this, that your mental health challenges don't mean you should quit. Hosea, which I read earlier, says, I will transform the valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. I am an avid reader. I read constantly, and I love reading biographies, and I have discovered that the greatest biographies are those that have a comeback story. Winston Churchill, I love Winston. Comeback story. World War II, comeback story. Others, William Wilberforce, comeback story. The greatest biographies and stories are comeback stories, but here's the deal. You can't have a comeback without a setback. There are no such things as comebacks without setbacks. And the, our challenge, regardless of what our brokenness is, don't quit. Because God can transform the valley of despair and hopelessness into a valley of hope. I want us to watch this video again because Janae is close to my heart. I love her. Because she had the courage to step out and to share about her brokenness. Let's take a look at this. My name is Janae, and this is my story. I've struggled with depression a majority of my life, along with the feelings of just hopelessness, um, despair, and an inner emptiness and shame. I was never really raised in the church. I had a more secular viewpoint of who God was. I didn't really believe because ultimately I was atheist, yet still looking for something to validate my existence in some way, shape, or form. And so I made a pseudo-savior out of my relationships, whether it be a family member, a friend, or especially the one, you know, who's <laughs> gonna just rescue me from all of this. What I realized is that no one person could actually sustain that or fulfill it. 
because we're all flawed and broken. And with each failed relationship, I just internalized it and took that as my self-worth, which was worthless. And so it was around that time um, that I started planning out my fourth attempt at suicide when a friend brought me to LifePoint with a class called Character on Purpose. It was in that class that I paid attention for the first time to who Christ was, what he meant to the world, and just the Bible in general. And I was able to intellectually accept the fact that Christianity and Jesus was real. This class encouraged us to explore Christianity from the inside out and to drop it from your head to your heart and engage it with your whole emotion and your whole heart. And it was at that point that my life really made a pivotal change. And it was the first time that I've ever really fully let myself believe that there's another way that, that's outside myself and that's true. And it also made me realize that I don't think I ever really knew what hope and joy actually meant because it's completely different from happiness. It's awesome as well as terrifying at the same time because you're giving up your right to control your life, your right to make decisions for yourself. That can be a little, a little scary at times, but in truth, it's comforting to know that it's not in your hands. And with that, peace comes along. Every decision I make now has this new perspective. And I've had to rethink a lot of decisions I've made in the past, as well as make some hard changes. But compared to the peace and joy and hope that Christianity has given me, those poor decisions seem insignificant. And those hard choices of change that I've had to make um, are tempered by that hope. And so it's a lot easier to do, and it still leaves you with peace and joy. No matter what may come my way, my life is so much more meaningful and fuller now, knowing that God loves me for who I am, as I am, has been incredibly liberating. That love and grace is just immeasurable, but the best part is the hope. That is awesome. Well, we are people of hope. And we are people who God says we are. And let's offer it to those in our families, our friends, the community that we live in. Let's pray. I don't know where you're at this morning. I just know I've been praying for you for two years. And maybe some of you need to invite Christ in your life. You need something greater like Janae inside of you that can give you a hope 
that God loves you right where you're at, that God's going to use you, that you, have, that you fit, that you've got a place. And today I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to Christ, like Janae said, to drop Christ from your head into your heart. Because we need Christ. And if you haven't done that, will you just say, God, right now, I admit, I've tried things my way, and I feel hopeless, but, but I know that you, you love me, that you died for me, that you accept me just as I am, and that you want to transform my valley of despair into hope. And so right now, God, I want to say yes to you. Jesus Christ, come in and begin to work in me and through me. And if you prayed that prayer, as simple as it was, will you just take the communication card that's in front of you and just let me know. Give me your email address, whatever, phone number, I don't know, whatever you feel comfortable and just write the letter A saying I've accepted or check the box in the back that says I've accepted Christ and I'd love to send you some literature that'll help you understand what you've just done. God, I thank you that in you we have hope. That in your word there's hope. That as we pray there's hope. As we live in community with others, doctors and professionals, Christians in a small group, God, there's hope. Help us to be people of hope, God, in a world that is desperately hopeless. We look to you to do these things in us, and we look to you to do these things through us, God. In your son's precious name we pray, amen.